We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Psalm 103. These are the words of God. Bless the, <clears throat> bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, the acts, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, good morning and a happy Sunday after Thanksgiving. I hope you had a good time with fewer family and fewer friends than normal. And as you gathered together, uh, my family enjoyed it, and uh, it, was, uh, it was still a, a good time, uh, despite the year that we find ourselves in. And in fact, in, in some ways, it was a good time because of the year that we find ourselves in, a, a time of thankfulness and, and gratitude to the Lord's goodness in the midst of, of a very difficult season. We're excited today because we get to start the, um, our Advent series here at Emmaus, and and so in a moment, we'll dive into this passage that, that Pastor Sam just read for us. But, but let me just begin by saying, if you're a guest, welcome to Emmaus. It's good to have you with us today. My name's Joshua, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'll be outside standing um, out there on the sidewalk to, to meet you at a, at a safe distance and, and with, with uh, my mask on. And we'd love to just get to know uh, you and why you're here and uh, answer any questions that you have. So feel free to stop by the Connect table um, and to say hi to me there as well. Um, we would love to meet you. Thanks for joining us today. Covenant members, it's always good to gather with you. We love you guys and uh, excited to begin Advent with you. With that said, let's pray and then we will look at this passage. And Jesus, we thank you for your um, kind goodness to us today. That today we get to begin a celebration of Advent, of, of the coming 
um, of Christ, the, the coming of God himself to us to make yourself known to us so that we may know you, so that we may be loved by you, so that we may be in relationship with you, so that we may be made righteous by you. Today, we begin celebrating that. For the next four weeks, Father, we look specifically to the person and the work of Christ um, in this season as he was sent by you to become flesh so that he would grow and that he would die and that he would rise again so that we may be made right with you. And so we thank you for this season. May we, in the midst of all the distractions that our world offers us, especially in 2020, may we find a special place for the next four Sunday mornings as we gather here to, to reflect on and to relish in the goodness of our God who has come. Speak to us this morning. Open our hearts and our minds. Encourage us with your word. May we all in you, and may we bless you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This year, we are spending Advent in the Psalms, Christmas in the Psalms. For the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four particular Psalms, and we're going to be looking to the person and the work of Jesus from these Psalms. Uh, as we were doing this and preparing, and it's like, you've got all the Psalms to choose from, go for what Psalm would you like? Psalm 103 was just resting upon my heart and my mind wanting to, to preach this. And I'm well aware that, that about a year and a half ago, Pastor Sam preached on Psalm 103 here at our church in our um, Poems and Proverbs series that we did. Um, but it is a good enough psalm to preach again, uh, I believe. And many of you I see in here weren't even here a year and a half ago. And so we're going to open it up. We're going to look at it again, and I'm excited about that. And that sermon, Pastor Sam entitled that sermon, Dear Soul, God Loves You deal with it. Dear soul, God loves you, deal with it. That in essence is what David, the psalmist here, is telling himself. This psalm is a psalm of great comfort to Christians who are in this room. It is a psalm of exhortation to us to praise and to bless God, to, to, to bless God, to with our soul speak of his goodness and his greatness. This psalm for David is a psalm where he is preaching himself out of despair. He finds himself in a place of despair and he's preaching himself out of despair. This is a psalm where David is praising himself into hopefulness. He is reminding himself again and again of the goodness and the greatness and the steadfastness of his God. In the midst of what appears to be a difficult season for David, he is turning to the one thing that remains always beautifully good, and that is God. And so he turns to that and reminds himself of God's covenant faithfulness here. As we come to the end of what is collectively, right, collectively the most difficult, discouraging, fear-inacting, conflict-inflaming, conspiracy-creating, doubt-engulfing, exhaustion-producing year we have faced in our lives. As we come to the end collectively of a year like this, I believe it is incredibly important that we are reminded to look to God's faithfulness, to praise his workings, to celebrate his covenant, and to rejoice in his son so that we may believe he still, even at the end of 2020, loves us. Right, that he still loves us and he's still good to us. What better time to be reminded of this than in the midst of Advent, 
when we specifically celebrate that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? This is the season we celebrate that, and this passage reminds us of that. This Psalm, Psalm 103, is designed to give the Christian both assurance and to ignite within the Christian praise and blessing towards God, and I hope it does that for us today. David begins this Psalm in verses one through two by exhorting himself to bless God. So he speaks to himself and reminds himself to bless God. David lists a host in verses three through 19, a host of reasons why he should praise God, why he should bless God. Namely, that God has kept his covenant promises. God has made promises and he has been faithful to those promises. This is why I should bless him. So he begins with exhorting himself to bless God in verses one through two. He then goes to a host of reasons why he should bless God in verses three through 19. In verses 20 and 22, he then, because of those reasons, calls upon and exhorts all of creation, the angels, all created beings, and even the very works of God to bless God. And then he ends, he bookends this passage, this psalm in verse 22 by exhorting himself once again to bless God. Bless God, O my soul. Here's why I should bless God. Bless God, O my soul. So let's look. Verses one and two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David begins by reminding himself to bless God and to remember God in the, in the deepest parts of him, to remember God and his benefits. This is something that we all must do daily, hourly, yearly, monthly. We must remember God, right? The, the reality is that most of us are really good at reminding ourselves of what others think about us. We're really good at reminding ourselves of what the media tells us we should believe, we're really good at reminding ourselves of what we should have or don't have, what we should be or aren't. We're really good at reminding ourselves of what others have that we don't have, what others do that we don't do, how others measure up in ways that we don't measure up. We're really good at reminding ourselves of our sins and our failures and our disappointments and our losses. And David challenges us here today to remind ourselves, though, of God's blessings, of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness. He's having, be encouraged by this Christian, he's having to remind himself to remember God's goodness, right? He doesn't just naturally remember God's goodness. It's as if he ties a string around his finger in that great, uh, that great Christmas movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, right? He ties a string around his finger to remind himself of something, but then he can never remember what the string actually is supposed to remind himself of. Right? But it's as if David is tying this string around his life going, soul, remember to remember to remember that God is good. I remember this. He's reminding himself of this. Verses three through five. Let's read two again as it flows into three. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy so that your youth 
or excuse me, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Right in verses three through five, he begins to turn our attention to the benefits of the Lord, to the blessings of the Lord, to the reasons why he should bless God. And he begins with this. I think it's very important that this is the one he begins with in verse three, who forgives all your iniquity. Bless the Lord who forgives all your iniquity. Because the greatest need that any of us have in all of life is for our sins to be forgiven. You see, if we receive every blessing that God has to offer on this planet and yet our sins are not forgiven, we are still left in death. All of those blessings fade. All of those blessings go away. All of those blessings can be stripped from us. If every other need in life is met, yet this one need, our sins to be forgiven, our iniquities to be forgiven, is neglected, we're simply making our bus ride to wrath a little more comfortable. We're simply making our bus ride to wrath a little more comfortable. We would be trading 75 years of comfort for an eternity of suffering. Yet, if God forgives our iniquity, then the worst case scenario that we face is 75, 80, 90 years of absolutely brutal suffering followed by an eternity of joy-filled, pain-free, love-realizing bliss. Now for the sufferer, that is not to diminish your suffering. That is not to speak little of your suffering, of the hardships of your life. The point is not, suck it up, your hardships are not that bad. The point is to maximize the beautiful gift and blessing that we have in God forgiving all of our iniquities. That the absolute worst case scenario you have is 75 to 95 years of suffering followed by an eternity of joyful bliss with the Lord. There are good things ahead, no matter what life is like today, for those whose sins have been forgiven. He forgives our iniquity. It says he heals our diseases. He heals our diseases. What we know is that the Lord is good and faithful to heal some people now, today, in this life, this year. And what we know is that he does not heal some in this life. But in the words of Pastor Sam, when he preached this, your suffering, your sickness, your diseases, they have a shelf life. There is an expiration date on them. To the Christian, to the one who has placed his faith in Jesus, whose sins have been forgiven, whose iniquities have been wiped away, to this person, your sickness, whatever it may be, mental, physical, chronic, disease, cancer, your sickness does have a shelf life. One day you will die and the sickness and the disease and the pain and the illness will be gone. The Lord promises that those who are his live forever with him. And that sickness and that illness and that disease does not follow you there. There is a day of healing coming, maybe in this life, definitely after this life. 
God forgives our iniquity and he heals our diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He redeems your life from the pit. Like Joseph, who was placed in the pit by his brothers for his destruction, and yet God redeemed him and used him to save the nations from famine. Like Daniel, who was placed in the pit for his faithfulness to God, yet God used his fright-filled night with the lions to flex his power and call a king and a nation to repentance. Like Jonah, who sunk into the pit of the fish's stomach for three days, yet God used the pit to bring forth repentance and faithfulness, leading to the salvation of an entire city. Like David, who stepped into the pit of immorality by his own sinful will. Yet, through repentance, God redeemed him and restored him and called him a man after his own heart. God's story is a story of redeeming people from pits that you are trapped in because of other sin towards you and pits that you have climbed into because of your own rebellious sin. This story is a story of redeeming people from the pits. It says God crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. We're going to explore this as we continue on in this, this psalm. It's over and over again in this psalm, but, but let's just rest for a moment and take a deep breath out with this ever so quickly. The king, the king of all creation crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Never ending, not ceasing, not wavering, life withstanding love and mercy. It doesn't fade, it doesn't go away. Wherever you find yourself at today and whatever face you see upon God as he looks at you and your sinfulness, as he looks upon you and your unfaithfulness, if you have placed your faith in Christ, hear this. He has steadfast love and mercy for you. You can't sin your way out of his love and mercy. God satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. It's been interesting to me that in the year of COVID, the year of isolation and the year of hiding behind masks and the year of loss and grief and, and life changing, I've actually found more satisfaction in the goodness of God. As the, the, the pleasures or the comforts that I was used to were stripped away, as the sure things that I once held to were stripped away, I realized just how good God was in the midst of losing something. Even the midst of losing people. God satisfies those who are his children with good to renew you. And perhaps you question that. Perhaps you go, well, what good has God satisfied me with this year? This psalm is a great example. David is continuing to give us reason after reason, example after example of God's goodness to us. So let's continue on. In verse 6, he says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Right? God is just, and he will seek justice for all who are oppressed. So for those of you who, are, who were abused as children, God seeks justice. That abuse does not go unseen by him. He knows 
and he will have justice for the oppressed. For those of you in abusive, oppressive, controlling marriages, God sees. You may feel alone. You are not alone. He knows. He will seek justice. For those of you who have been oppressed by the powerful, perhaps no one else even knows about it. God sees you, and he has promised justice. And for those of you who are the oppressor, for those of you who are the abusive, for those of you who lord your power over another and take advantage of them and use them for your own sinful desires and gains, the Lord sees. You may think you've gotten by with it. You may think no one knows, but the Lord will seek justice. I pray that this is an encouragement to some of us today and a stern warning to some of us today. If you are the oppressor, would you repent and find mercy? Come to the Lord, repent, confess, find mercy. And if you are the oppressed, know you are seen, and the Lord will have vengeance. It will not go unpunished. Verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. God is not secretive in his ways, church. He's not hiding them from us. He has made them known, and he's made himself known. He made himself known to Abraham, and he's made himself known to the entire people of Israel. See, David's experience with this goodness of the Lord, which he is blessing God for in this psalm, is not simply a a subjective experience. It's not just, hey, I've experienced God's goodness. He's looking back at the historical account of God, and he's going, God has made himself known over and over again to his people in these ways. This is not a one-and-done situation. This is not just God has just subjectively come to me, so hey, if if he can be good to me, maybe he can be good to you too. He goes, look at the history to Abraham and to the people of Israel and to all those before us. He has been good and faithful to these promises. His steadfast love has remained. He has forgiven iniquities. He has sought justice. This is who he has been. This is who he is to me. I have confidence this is who he will continue to be. And today as we look at these, David wrote this so many years ago, and yet now we get to look back, not just at David's experience of who God is, and not just at Abraham's, and not just at Israel's, but we get to see the continuing story of this. We have more history to go on than David. How much surer should we be of God's faithfulness even than David was? We get to see now on this side of history that God even continued his faithfulness in the sending of his son, Jesus. Right, that he followed through his, with his steadfast love by sending himself, his son, to be born in a manger, to grow up and to be tempted in every way we are, yet to never sin. And then to go to the cross to die, not for his sin, but for your sin, if you would believe. And then to be raised from the dead and to reign forevermore, to continue today to offer life, steadfast love and mercy to those who would believe. He has shown himself to be good. He continues to show himself to be good. He will continue to show himself to be good. Verse eight, 
The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Right? Mercy and grace, church, are not responses that the Lord has to muster up. He doesn't have to work really hard to be disciplined at showing you mercy and graciousness. He doesn't have to pull away from your sin, go in the other room, calm himself for a moment and remind himself to be kind to you. It is the very nature of who he is to have mercy and grace for you, to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He doesn't wake up in the morning and remind himself to be patient with those who will irritate him that day. He's not going to anger management. He's not trying to reel in his wrath so that it doesn't accidentally overboil um, into your life. He's slow to anger. His love is not a small portion, but an abounding portion. I was a youth pastor for nearly 10 years and I threw more pizza parties than I can possibly count. And I don't remember a time that our church ever had enough money just to buy enough pizza to just go get as much as you want. It was always, you get two pieces. Go through line, grab two pieces of pizza. If there's enough left, when everyone's done, you can go back and get more or take some from the junior high kids who don't eat it all. God has never said it's two pieces of love and that's it at the feast. It's abounding. You fill your plate to overflowing. Feast on his love. It is so abounding to you. His anger is so slow to you, church. Hear that today. Those of you who think he has become impatient with you, he can't possibly go another day with you. How can he love you again tomorrow with how you've been living today? He has an ending overflowing love. It doesn't run out. Verses 9 through 12. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He will chide. means to correct. He will correct his children. His correction is not forever, is not lasting forever. His discipline does not last forever. He's not continuously angry dad. He's not an unfair disciplinarian. He's not a father whom you can never please. He corrects out of love, and then he loves to remind you that his correction was out of love. Why? How does he do this? Well, it says because he is a father, or because he does not deal with us, excuse me, according to our sins or repay our iniquities. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay our iniquities. Right? He's not trying to get even with you for your sin. As far as up is from down, as far as left is from the right, as far as the heavens are from the earth, he separates your sins from you. May, you may bring your sins up to yourself. Others may bring your sins up to you. 
the enemy surely will bring your sins up to you. But Christ and our Lord are not out to remind you of your sin. They're not holding it over you, reminding you each time you sin, oh, you did that again. Oh, there it was again. Oh, there again. He's out to remind you of his love, of his forgiveness, of his steadfastness towards you. Verse 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Right? As a father shows compassion to his children, the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. So I read this and I studied this. I could not help but have specific instances of my fathering my children in my mind. I won't share those illustrations because all of our children are with us now in this life of COVID in our services, and I'm not going to do that to my kids. But I have specific instances in my mind where there was sin, where there was rebellion, where there was need for correction. Yes, there was. But when my children sin, I have great compassion for them. Right? When they sin, I have compassion in my heart for them. Not perfectly. Just yesterday, my son raised his voice at me, and so what do I do to tell him to stop raising his voice? I raise my voice at him. And then I realized, oh, wait, that made no sense. So I pulled the Jeep over, I got out of the Jeep, I went around to his door, I opened it up, and I confessed to him my own brokenness, my own sinfulness in that, my own impatience. I'm not perfect at this, but I have compassion for him. If I, an unperfect father, have compassion for my children when they sin, how much more compassion does my perfectly loving father have for me? When my children sin, I long to know their heart. I want to ask questions and to care for their needs. I want to minister to them. I want to speak to their fears and to shape their desires that led to that rebellion. I want to build relationship. I don't feel compelled to do this with your children. Right? If your children sin around me, I'm not necessarily going, oh, I have such great compassion for them. Compassion, yes, not to the level as I do with my kids. Why? Because I know my children. I know their hearts and their minds, their strengths and their weaknesses. I know where they're susceptible to temptation and to the enemy. I know why they sin and how they sin and where they sin and when they sin. My father knows this about me. He knows you, Christian. He knows your fears and your worries. He knows your wounds and your hurts. He knows your desires and your attentions. He knows when you sin and how you sin and why you sinned and why that caused you to sin. He has compassion for you, child. He's a father and he has steadfast love for you because he knows that you are dust and he cares. He knows what you have to offer and he cares. His expectations are not unfair. And his discipline is not too much. His love is abounding. Verse 15. 
As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over it all. Man's days are like grass, but God's steadfast love is everlasting. I celebrated my 40th birthday this year. I was reminded once again, or this week I did, I was reminded once again that my days are numbered. Some of you are quite older than 40 and you're like, just, just settle down, son. <laughs> right? But with each birthday, with each year, you're reminded, this goes by a lot faster than I thought it did when I was seven. Right? My days are numbered. And in the year of COVID, we're reminded that our days are numbered in a new way that none of us know the day that our health is gone, the day that our life is snuffed out. And as we come to the close of another calendar year, we're reminded once again, no matter how old we are, that years pass. Time goes away. We are like dust. We are like grass. Yet, God promises that his love and reign will never end. See, we are not one year closer to the end of God's reign. And we are not one year closer to the end of his love. Each moment that passes, we don't lose a little more grip on his love and reign. As if they are slipping through our grasp as each day and year goes on, coming to an end. Rather, we realize as time goes on that the grip of his love and his reign are just as tight upon us as they've always been and they always will be. Each year that passes is not getting closer to the end of God's love and reign. It's simply another year of history giving proof of his love and reign. That will not end. Notice that it says, if you keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Look again with me. Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Now, perhaps at first glance, this is not encouraging and not hopeful to you. Wait, wait, so we're talking about the Lord's steadfastness and his everlasting love and these blessings that he has. And yet here the psalmist goes, and these things are given to those who fear him and who keep his commandments, who hold to his covenant. I know me, pastor, Right? I don't do that often. Right? My, my life is not a life that is, is always fearing the Lord. My life is not a life that is always in obedience to the Lord. I, I know my sin. This, this seems to be a little bit less encouraging, a little bit more discouraging to me. David knew that. David knew that as well. David knew that he was not perfect. He knew that he had sins. He, he even in the Psalms confesses sins which he does not know he has committed. He knows that he has not perfectly kept the word of the Lord. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel. God knows that you are dust. He knows that you're incapable of perfectly keeping his commands. Therefore, Jeremiah says that he will write his law upon your heart. 
because you are incapable of keeping his law, he will write it upon your heart for you. He will provide a way for you to be faithful to his commandments, though you are not able to be faithful to his commandments. And that way is Jesus. The new covenant, God's son sent to earth, born in a manger, what we're celebrating in this season, lives a perfect life, never sins, keeps God's commandments completely, to, to the dotting every I and crossing every T, and then dies a sacrificial death in your place. God receives his perfection in place of yours. God gives him wrath in place of giving it to you if you will have faith in Jesus. How beautiful is that? See, the hope, very hope in this command that we are to receive the steadfastness of God's love if we keep his commands is that Christ has kept his commands for us. That's why there's so much hope in this. We need simply to have faith in Christ. Verse 20 and 22. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalmist says, because of all of these blessings of the Lord, there's only one response, and that response is to bless God. He's calling on creation to bless God. He's calling on the works of God to bless God. He's calling on the angels to bless God. He's calling on his own soul, in verse 22, to bless God. As John Piper said, what David is doing in the first and last verse of this psalm, when he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, is he is saying that authentic speaking about God's goodness and greatness must come from the soul. Blessing God with the mouth without the soul would be hypocrisy. Jesus says, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, Matthew 15, 8. David knows that danger, and he is preaching to himself. He's telling himself, he's telling his soul not to let this happen. Come on, soul, look at the greatness and the goodness of God. Join my mouth and let us bless the Lord with our whole being. So we are not going to be a hypocrite. He is preaching to his soul to with everything within him to see God's goodness and to go, thank you. To praise God for it to give thanks and to celebrate God's steadfast love. Now, why am I preaching Psalm 103? To start our Advent series. Just as David placed all of his hopes in the steadfast, merciful, and gracious love of God, so do we. So do we. And we also know how God has remained steadfast in his love for us how he has prepared a way for us, though we are imperfect in our obedience. And it's through his son, Christ, sent to be born in that manger. By sending his son, he has, and his son living a perfect life and dying a death of a sinner, he has paved the way, purchased the way for us to be made righteous before God. See, the beauty of Psalm 103 at Advent is that David is preaching himself out of despair praising himself out of hopelessness. And he's doing so by reminding himself of God's covenant faithfulness, which has been fulfilled in Christ. 
And so this is our psalm this season. The season of Advent, as we celebrate the coming of Christ, the completion of God's covenant faithfulness, this is, this is our song to sing. This is our psalm to read and to celebrate and to bless the Lord over. All of these, these blessings, which David has sung of, which he has written of in this passage, all of these blessings we've celebrated and marveled in today are available only to those who are the covenant children of God. And today we know that we enter covenant as God's children through Jesus. Which means this, that if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, these blessings are not yours. As good as they all sound, they are not yours. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, he has not forgiven you of your iniquity. You are not, he will not eternally heal your diseases. He has not redeemed your life from the pit. He has not crowned you with steadfast love and mercy. He has not satisfied your soul with good and his anger will chide towards you forever. But unbeliever, if you come, if you simply come in faith to Jesus, all of this is yours. If you look to the resurrected Jesus, see the nail holes in his hands and in his feet for your place. If you see the compassion in his eyes and hear in his voice as he says, Father, forgive them. If you come to Jesus in faith and believe, cling to him and only him for your salvation, all of this, every ounce of this that we have seen today is yours. Would you believe that? Would you trust in that today? This is what we, who are truly Christians, celebrate in this season. This is what we celebrate in Advent, the coming of Jesus, fulfillment of these blessings, the assurance that these are ours. As John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of man, but of God. And the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This Advent season, this Christmas, the blessings that David celebrates in Psalm 103 are yours if you have faith in that word, Jesus, in that person, Jesus, in the Son of God, Jesus. He knows your form. He's slow to anger towards you. He forgives your iniquity. He heals your sicknesses. He satisfies you with good. He will seek justice for the oppressed. His correction is not unending. He is patient. He is gracious. And his steadfast love endures forever. So Christian, remember that. 
Make that the focal point of your celebration this year. Unbeliever, believe that and receive these blessings. Receive them because you receive Christ. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.